We are continuing in our study of the parables in Matthew 13. We explore this morning the third and fourth parables that the Lord Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the four types of soil. Appreciate um, the, uh, the ministry there of that parable. And then last week was the wheat and the tares. What impresses me um, about the, um, the Lord Jesus' teaching is his directness, his directness. There's a lack of theorizing or supposing, um, and he speaks, the Lord Jesus proclaims unapologetically. It's direct. I'm going to tell you the way it is. We never hear the Lord Jesus say, my opinion is, or I think this is the way this works, or I'm sorry, may I correct myself? Or let's turn to tradition for these answers. It's, um, they're not uh, political statements. They're statements of fact and authority. His teaching is final. It is concise. We, um, we read at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So that was a distinctive of Jesus' ministry was, this is different. This is like we've never heard before. This is authoritative. It's direct. It's, um, uh, it's substantial. Toward the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus stunned his adversaries. The Pharisees heard the crowd talking about uh, Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus the, um, the one sent from God. And uh, so the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him, to arrest him. This was in, um, in John chapter 7. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to him, why have you not brought him? Where is Jesus? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. They were floored. They were stunned. They were um, disarmed by the authority of Jesus speaking. So imagine yourself among the multitude when Jesus was giving these parables and the Lord got in a boat and he pushed off from shore on the Sea of Galilee and he began to teach. You, if you were there, you would want to hang on every word. You'd want to hear every word that the Lord Jesus was saying. Consider also the message that he taught. The king of heaven was describing his kingdom. What could be more relevant? Last year, Warren Buffett auctioned off a three-hour lunch for $4.6 million. The man who uh, paid that was able to hear Warren Buffett describe the inner workings of the financial market. We have here is the Lord Jesus giving his subjects insight into the very nature of his reign. We want to hear, we want to know what the Lord Jesus says about his kingdom. We began our study 
two weeks, three weeks ago, with the Lord giving insights into uh, the kingdom. And uh, he said that there is a kingdom of heaven. We have um, here, I think, uh, David, uh, you said that there, uh, of the eight million, eight billion people in the world, this is, um, this is the world, of those eight billion people, we have about 2.6 billion people who have some profession of being a Christian. So that's what this circle represents. And uh, the Lord Jesus uh, said, this is the kingdom of heaven. This, these are the ones who claim to be my subjects, okay? Subjects of the king. The 2019 Gallup poll showed that 70% of people in the United States claim to be Christians in some form. And half of these claim to be evangelical. But if I were to take my own poll, my own survey, and I were to ask a hundred of my family and friends and neighbors at random um, why they considered themselves to be Christians if they had eternal life, how many would be able to give a valid reason for the hope that was in them of that hundred? So this sphere is made up only of those who acknowledge God as, um, I'm sorry, it's, it's made up not only of those who acknowledge God as, um, as supreme, but they also uh, have everlasting life. They are genuinely converted. Within this sphere of profession, we have another circle. And uh, within the uh, sphere of profession, we have a sphere of actual possession, ones who possess uh, eternal life. Now, the circles are not proportional, so I'm guessing that this circle is much smaller than, uh, than what I show here. So in, in this circle I have, uh, in the outer circle I have um, outward profession and then in the inner circle I have uh, inward reality. You understand that um, we all profess within the circle but it's only within the, the narrow circle that um, we are disciples indeed. Last week, we looked at the parable of the wheat and the tares. And they sure looked alike um, when they were growing together. And so it was, um, it was difficult to discern which were the uh, tares and which were the, uh, the wheat. And just, uh, good, okay, it looks like we're, uh, we're able to see the illustration. The tares, remember, the sower had not planted the tares. An enemy had done this. And uh, the owner said, at harvest, I want you to bind the tares, and we're going to throw those into the fire. 
but the wheat I want you to, to gather and put in my barn. So um, that brings us to our scripture today. We want to look at the, um, the parables of the, uh, the mustard seed and the leaven. So let's read Matthew 13, beginning at verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So our, our lesson this morning falls neatly into, um, into three, uh, three headings. The, um, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And then uh, Jesus is the revealer of things previously unknown, previously secrets, mysteries. And uh, then we'll, we'll have um, uh, application. What impact should these truths have in our lives today? The kingdom of heaven would grow like a mustard seed. Why a mustard seed? A mustard seed is known well for its minuteness. I haven't uh, actually held a mustard seed that I knew of, but um, the mustards are annuals that grow with extraordinary rapidity. So an annual is a plant that dies uh, every year and then that's it. So every, every year a new plant grows. And they can often attain a height of 10 or 12 feet. It's not a tree that grows only several inches per year. The um, mustard plant grows new from a new seed to that height of 10 or 12 feet. Quite a, quite a plant. It reminds me of Lita's tomato plant in her backyard years ago. The seed was the smallest that the Lord's hearers had seen. Its growth was phenomenal. And in his creation, the, the Lord gave the mustard seed this quality of unusual growth, in part to be a, uh, an illustration for his parable that he preached to the multitude. The tininess of the seed represents the humble beginning of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom was small at the start, persecution kept it small, but with the support of opportunistic and unethical rulers, as well as the infiltration of evil philosophies, the tree grew into a monstrosity. Some of our 
esteemed Bible scholars see the mustard seed as an outflow of God's grace, the tree providing food and rest and shade and shelter for the people of God. I wish that this were so, and we'll see why it's not. We do observe explosive growth of the real church in the book of Acts. The disciples in Acts 1 numbered about 120. In Acts 2, through Peter's preaching, 3,000 were added. Praise the Lord. In Acts 4, again through preaching, 5,000 were added. So that um, even in Acts 17, the Jews in faraway Thessalonica, way over um, uh, in uh, the Greek, the Greece area of Greece, complained that the believers who had turned the world upside down were here too. Had this rate of growth continued, however, by now the whole world would have been converted. It was, uh, it was dramatic, it was phenomenal growth. And again, we wish that this were so. But as one Christian website documented, Islam, Sikhism, and Hinduism are growing today at a faster rate than is Christianity. Okay, so, uh, so the tree of Christendom uh, is growing at this phenomenal rate, but there are other trees too, and uh, there are trees uh, outside uh, this profession, and they're, they're growing faster than, than, um, than the Lord's church. The Lord's disciples then and now hardly need teaching about the growth of the church. What we need is warnings about counterfeits. One, uh, one commentator said, false religious teaching has always abounded, attracting men far more than truth attracts them. Al Whittinghill wrote an article, Why is there no revival? He says, We live in a day when the world has become churchy and the church has become worldly. Sometimes it's hard to tell who is who. And what about the birds? Uh, the Lord's, in the Lord's first parable, they were snatching away the seed that had fallen on the, on the hard ground. They were, they were taking it from people's hearts. Um, and we hardly want to provide a roost for these kind of birds. Bill McDonald, uh, I referred to um, very much in preparation of this lesson. Uh, he said, the kingdom has become a nesting place for Satan and his agents. Today, the umbrella of Christendom covers such Christ-denying systems as Unitarianism, Christian science, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Unification Church. That's, uh, that's all the tares uh, around. And that, that's the birds of the, of the air. Like the Babylon of the end times, the hugeness of the mustard plant would become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean 
and hated bird. Okay, so all growth is not good growth. The Lord warned his disciples, don't be deceived. Don't equate growth with success. Commenting on the parable of the tares, our brother McDonald commented, Satan has a counterfeit for every divine reality. How then it must have burdened the shepherd's heart to have to school his disciples about his kingdom, about counterfeits in his kingdom. But the owner of the field in the last parable said, let both grow together until the harvest. So that really is, um, is the kingdom of heaven like a mustard seed. It grows into this um, abnormal uh, plant. It's, it's huge. The kingdom of heaven, the Lord said, would be corrupted as with leaven. What is leaven? It's, um, it's sourdough. Um, how is it different from yeast? Well, um, that's a study for, for another day. But um, the, um, the sisters here a year or two ago were sharing a lump of, um, of sourdough. And it's great for bread, but it's bad when it's used as a picture for the spread of false doctrine in both the Old Testament and the New, leaven symbolizes the pervasiveness, the easy spreading of false doctrine, of evil. And again, some view leaven in this parable as the gospel, which would be preached throughout the whole world until the world was saved. And uh, as much as we desire that to be true, um, Brother Bill hastens to point out that this view is contradicted by scripture, by history, and by current events. It's simply not true. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to rid their houses of leaven. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats unleavened bread from the first day until the seventh day that person shall be cut off from Israel. The children of Israel seem to understand that leaven represented this fast spreading evil. Because leaven causes decay and corruption of the wheat dough, the Lord prohibited leaven in the Levitical burnt offerings. These offerings were to remain pure as pictures of the Lord Jesus uh, sacrifice on the cross. In Leviticus 2 we read, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. So leaven has, um, has this reputation in the Old Testament as being a picture of evil fast spreading. Likewise, in the New Testament, Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 16, we'll get to that in the weeks ahead, um, take heed 
and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That was their evil doctrine. The Pharisees' leaven was uh, particularly religious formalism. They They were great at appearing what they were not. They were hypocrites. Jesus said, even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but uh, the inside, uh, inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What was the leaven of the Sadducees? Theirs was a skepticism toward all things supernatural. In Matthew 22, we read the same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. So here we have the Lord Jesus warning his, um, his disciples against that leaven of the, um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In, in the epistles, The Apostle Paul warned the churches um, against the leaven as well. In uh, in the first Corinthians epistle, he said, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul contrasted the the leaven of malice and wickedness with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Malice and wickedness have to do with the character and the conduct of, uh, of believers and looking at the epistle um, to the Corinthians as a whole, looking at the assembly in Corinth as a whole, we realize that sincerity and truth were in short supply. The evil one had done his work in corrupting the three measures of meal. To the Galatians, Paul wrote, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That uh, persuasion that the Apostle Paul was addressing was the belief that somehow circumcision and law-keeping mixed with faith, would um, result in salvation. This belief, this persuasion, did not come from God, but from the evil one. This leaven was bad doctrine. The, uh, the leaven in Corinth was uh, bad conduct. But the uh, unleavened meal in our parable represents the food of God 
as it is found in Scripture. It's pure. It's good. It, um, it's men and women who, um, who corrupt it with our, with our philosophies. Bible scholars see the woman hiding the, um, the leaven in the meal as uh, not accidental. They see her putting the leaven in the meal intentionally. In a sense, the woman represents the leader of a religious system, perhaps like Jezebel in Thyatira in the, um, Revelation 2. The Lord complains to the church of Thyatira. He says, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Again, the evil one had done his work in leavening the three meals, the three measures of meal. Generally, the parable of the mustard seed shows evil in the external character of the kingdom of heaven, and the parable of the leaven shows that inward corruption that would take place in, uh, in the kingdom of heaven. We find in the church today that the attack of the enemy usually follows three lines. Uh, first is the, um, the authority of scripture, and the evil one has used this attack since the Garden of Eden. The serpent approached Eve, and he was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden? So here we have um, Satan tempting Eve to doubt the, um, the authenticity, the genuineness of, of Scripture. The second line uh, of attack is um, against the person of our Lord Jesus. Paul responded to such an attack in Colossians uh, chapter 2, where we might summarize Paul's response as... Um, in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, he said, In him, that is in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So um, Paul is, is up to taking on the enemy and to, um, to showing that really Christ is the, um, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The third attack uh, that we see today is um, on the all-sufficient work of the Lord Jesus on the cross as payment for our sin. And again, we, uh, we look at the Galatians and we see that um, false brethren had entered in and they were trying to convince the Galatians that they, uh, for justification or righteousness before God, they needed to be circumcised. They needed to be uh, to do uh, these works, law keeping, to which Paul countered, 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So we see the, um, we see the influence of leaven uh, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in the church today. Um, what about um, uh, verse 34? All these things Christ, uh, Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them. Why speak in parables? The crowd to which he spoke was willfully blind. They were rejecting Jesus, even though this rejection wouldn't fully show itself until, um, until his crucifixion. Because they were rejecting him, Jesus was removing even what understanding they seemed to have. Uh, the answer to um, why speak in parables is found in in our chapter, verse uh, 13, Matthew 13, actually 12, for whoever has, to him will be, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In a word, God was passing judgment on the people, on the multitude, for their rejection. The, uh, the fact that Jesus gives understanding to anyone is a blessing to, uh, to understand the mystery of his, mysteries of his kingdom. Um, again, in Matthew 13, verse uh, 16, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears... For they hear, for assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We are privileged to have these parables given, the mysteries revealed, the difficulties explained in God's word this morning. God is a revealer of secrets, and for that, we should praise him. You, um, you explained to us last week, Noad, that um, if the Lord Jesus didn't tell us about his kingdom, we simply wouldn't know. We wouldn't know what it was like. And so he, um, uh, he gives us his truth. He gives us uh, the truths of the um, kingdom of heaven through these parables. What are the significance, what is the significance of these parables to us in 2020? We have understanding. We have responsibility. In Luke 12, the Lord said, everyone to whom much is given from him will be much required, and to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. So what application should we make? Several applications here. 
First, discern. By nature, we are content with confusion and disorganization. The line between inward reality and outward profession should not be vague, but we should discern who has life and who merely professes, okay? Should be no gray. There's no gray in the Lord's thinking, should not be in our thinking. In his teaching on um, speech being a window to the heart, the Lord said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, that is declare uh, that the tree is good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. The Lord Jesus wants us to be skillful, discerning inspectors of fruit. Because we, we do minister differently to wheat than we do to tares. So be discerning. Second, be courageous. Don't despair. We, we see the explosive growth of um, the of Christendom, of uh, other um, thought, other religious thought. And um, we don't see explosive growth as we did at Pentecost. And we think, I think that would honor the Lord to see 5,000, 3,000 <laughs> saved at a time in the U.S. and, and around the world. But um, take, take comfort from verses like Mark 13, 23. Take heed, see, I have told you beforehand. The Lord is, um, is telling his disciples beforehand, this is the way it is. We're going to see uh, explosive groups, uh, growth of these other groups. Um, my church is going to grow, but it's going to grow more steadily. He's not surprised by false professors and inward corruption, and neither should we be surprised. Third, let's contend for the faith. That is, um, the faith is the doctrine of, of faith. It's the substance that we believe. Defend the faith, especially when the enemy provokes us to doubt the truth. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes priority, it takes uh, setting aside good things for diligence in our study of scripture. So those are uh, three things that we'd like uh, the believer to do, to discern, to, um, to be uh, courageous, and to defend the faith. If you're not a believer this morning, if you are perhaps an empty professor, be honest with yourself. Confess that to God. I'm just a, um, uh, I'm a fake. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just appearing to follow the Lord. Confess it to God. And then uh, cross the line here from, uh, from the empty professor to the inward reality. And what's required there is um, simple agreement with God that I'm a sinner deserving hell. I deserve his judgment for 
the things that I've done. And uh, second, that Jesus paid my penalty in full at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And then third, to accept that payment as um, uh, for my sin. God will save you. I've asked that we close with number 568 in our hymn book. Luke is going to show that with music on the, uh, on the screen. If you'd like to follow along in person, it's number 568. Give of your best to the master, not or nothing else is worthy his love. He gave himself for your ransom, gave up his glory above. Laid down his life without murmur, you from sin's ruin to save. Give him your heart's adoration. Give him the best that you have. Give of your best to the master. Give of the strength of your youth. Clad in salvation's full armor, join in the battle for truth. And uh, we can stand if you want and sing number 568. Let's close in prayer. Lord, you're deserving of our best. We thank you for showing us from your word the nature of uh, the kingdom of heaven. We're so grateful that you have um, uh, for us that inward reality, the um, uh, eternal life through, um, uh, through faith by grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.